Hello and welcome to Discovering Dementia. I'm Penny Bell and this podcast began after my mum was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease and vascular dementia. I started to research what I could do to help her. I'm not an expert, just a daughter helping her mum, but I thought it might be useful to share what I discovered with you, especially if you're in a similar situation. One story seems to lead to the next, and this episode is a perfect example. Hello. Hello, Hello. Hello. Okay. Nice to meet you, Gloria. In episode two of this series, we visited the Philo Project in Devon, which in normal times offers daycare with a difference to older people living with dementia. Small groups get together in a host's house where they socialise and have lunch together. I'm Gloria White and I'm a host with Philo Project. I work from home and go and pick people up and we all come back to my house and have coffee and chat about their week and I tell them about my week. We might play some music. I like YouTube because we can get the words up so that if they're songs that everybody likes, we sing along, so that's quite nice. Uh, Or we play Scrabble cards we've got various other games that we play sometimes we do cooking so we might make buns or biscuits or they also sometimes people like to help me with lunch so they might peel carrots or potatoes Um, I like them to make this their home this is their home and I'm just here to sort of make tea and coffee and things (laughs) Listen back and you'll hear more about the work the Philo Project does. I visited Gloria's group before the coronavirus lockdown. She hosts a group of three each week who share their day together, including Lily, who I sat next to when I arrived. Penny. Yes, I'm Penny. And Lily. Hello, Lily. Hello. Nice to meet you. Should I just sit on the sofa for a second? (laughs) Thank you. So I just bought my microphone because I'm hearing a bit about what goes on in the Philo project. Oh, I mean, I'm thrilled about it. It's a wonderful day out. And the hostess is top knot. <laughs> really excellent. What makes a good host, do you think? Uh, a cheerful smile, very important. And, and the food and the tea and the coffees, very welcome. <laughs> Lily has been coming to Gloria's group for over two years. Oh, it's wonderful. I look forward to it. When you're on your own, it's really something to look forward to. And I've used to a lot of people and been able to chat. I do get quite lonely at times, so this is a wonderful idea. Amazing. Can't speak highly enough. I was a hairdresser, so I'm always used to gassing. Where did you do your hairdressing? In Exeter. Did you have a lot of, was it a busy shop? Oh, very busy, extremely busy, yes. It was uh, the landlord, uh, the person that ran it, he had an antique shop underneath and his wife had the hairdressing up over the shop. It was lovely days, great days. (laughs) Did did you train on the job in the shop? Well, yes, I was only training for about a year and I was fully pledged hairdresser. (laughs) 
Yes, it was quite busy, very busy, actually. Because I had five children. So five children, that's a lot of children. Wonderful. Yes. Were they all close in age? Um, not really, no, because I, I had uh, three, and that was my family. And then um, and later in life, I had a girl and, and then another girl. Um, and my husband was very proud of the fact that he was drawing his old age pension and child benefit. <laughs> <laughs> So it must have been a busy household then. It with was quite extremely a, busy. Yeah, yes. a stretch of children of different Absolutely, ages. Absolutely, yes. Yeah. Bunk beds were very useful. <laughs> Did they all get on with each other? Oh, extremely so, and still do. It's lovely. I'm very fortunate. They're all in various parts of the world, but they're all in contact with each other. Right. Thanks to the phones, etc. Yes. And if they do visit, they all try to visit me at the same time. Lily's place at the Philo Project was arranged by one of her daughters who lives more than three hours' drive away. Yes, because she lives in London. What's her name? Debbie. I'm trying to think of her surname. That's strange. It's not coming to me at all. <laughs> like me, Debbie is trying to manage her mum's support and care from a distance. She became Lily's main carer early on and, with the support of her family, is trying to find ways to keep her mum at home for longer. I wondered how she had managed everything and whether there were any similarities in our experiences so far. We were introduced through the Philo Project and Debbie invited me to meet her at her house to talk and to help me understand more about Lily. Tell me a little bit about Growing up, what life was like when you were little with your mum? Oh, I had a a really idyllic upbringing, really, with lots of siblings and living in the countryside and, you know, very happy childhood, really. So I have two older brothers and older sister. Then there's an eight-year gap. And then myself and my younger sister, who's three years younger than me. And did you spend a lot of time by the sea? Yes, every weekend, pretty much rain or shine uh, with my parents. We lived opposite the village school and in the summer holidays, um, in those days they had a swimming pool, so we we had swimming lessons. I remember particularly the the summer of 76 when it was so hot, we spent every day in the swimming pool. Even though my mum couldn't swim, she was determined for us to learn So we were there every day. And how did you get on with your brothers and sisters? Yeah, really well. I mean, the older older children had pretty much left by the time I can really remember. My mum tells a story about my eldest brother, really because my dad was quite a bit older. And my older brother used to look after me when I was little. And when I was about three, he went to university and I was devastated. And I didn't speak to him and hid under the table and all sorts of shenanigans. And then when he came back, apparently I said, he's come back to me, he's come back, you know. So he was really important, I think, to me. Sort of an extra father figure. Mm -hmm. And I remember going to, you know, the ice cream van with my dad and we always laughed as a family because they'd always say, oh, out with grandpa today. <laughs> of course, it was my dad. <laughs> so how did your mum and dad meet each other? Uh, they met in a pub. My dad was the baker, the village baker. And your mum was a hairdresser? She was a hairdresser. And 
I don't really remember the hairdressing days, but I think it was probably that she did a lot of that when the first three were young. I think she used to do my dad's sisters. And um, I remember going to my grandmother's house and my mum doing my grandmother's hair, I think probably a perm, and colouring for hours, you know, seemed like hours and hours with a colouring book. But I don't really remember tons of mum hairdressing. I think she was an Avon lady and things like that, you know, just to earn a few pounds for shoes and things. But she pretty much didn't work when we were small. So she was looking after you at home? Yeah, she was, yeah. She was an amazing mum. She did everything. And she also had her mum who she basically looked after. So she would... Um, take we'd go to school in the morning not take us because obviously we crossed the road but we'd go to school in the morning and then she would catch a bus into my grandmother sort my grandmother out come home give us lunch at home she'd go back in the afternoon on the bus she'd come back for us for three thirty. then my dad would take her again in the evening as my grandmother lived in a warden assisted home and my mum pretty much did everything so she spent a lot of her life looking after people if there were five of you with such an oh, yeah. age gap. And... and then she actually looked after my aunt, who died at 101, who lived down the road, who was my dad's sister, up until my mum was 85, 86, 87, something like that. Um, my mum was down there every day sorting out her tablets and dealing with her. She walked down the road go in and see her, sort her out, go to the shop, come back. Yeah. You know, that was that was very much my mum. My dad died first, and my dad being older than my mum, I think that was kind of the way it was going to be. It sounds really weird, because he was very fit and well, uh, and he had a massive stroke and died very suddenly. And obviously the shock of that for her was really hard. But she was always the one who paid the bills, painted and decorated the house... That feisty, very independent um, woman, really, for her, coming from her age, really. When was the first time you noticed that things weren't quite as they used to be with your mum? I think after a visit from my niece, where my mum behaved peculiarly when my niece left. She said things had gone missing and normally with mum she's such a sociable especially with her grandchildren she adores them uh that was quite quite a weird a weird sort of thing that she would think that somebody had taken something especially her granddaughter how long ago was that i think maybe about 10 years ago so she would have been 82 yeah And then I do remember my sister coming to stay from Spain and mum saying that the man next door was banging. We went round to see him and said, you know, you can't be doing DIY. They were a young couple and they've obviously wanted to modernise the house, but you you just can't do that to the cob walls. And we just went round and said, and he said, but I haven't been doing any. And we really didn't believe him. We believed our mum. And actually, I'm sure that that was my mum, you know, having the first signs of the dementia and hearing things. So what 
led to her becoming diagnosed? I think that she was being forgetful and she started accusing more people of stealing and she was just generally not herself. And I really do not remember how I persuaded her because she's very strong. But I said to her, come on, mum, let's let's just have a brain scan. But in her mind, she has blocked all that, that sort of thing out. So did you go through the GP to get that done? Yes, and we went to the memory clinic first. And we got separated and she had to answer questions and I had to answer questions. And my lovely mum, you know, optimistic, I got them all right, you know, I got all the questions right. So I said, well, that's really good then, mum. And then she had a brain scan. Something happened with the results. So we couldn't actually see the consultant to get the results. Um, The consultant was off sick or they were short staffed or... Um, something like that so we couldn't actually get to see anybody to hear the results but basically they told me on the telephone that mum had Alzheimer's. So was you on the phone? Yeah. I was a bit annoyed that we couldn't sit face to face with someone and talk through our options and you know but actually with hindsight I think it was a, a good thing in a funny sort of way because we decided to not inform mum of her disease mainly because because of her personality type she's such a positive person who sort of feeds on positivity of other people and I know that having such a I think quite a negative diagnosis I don't think she would have taken it well although she does know she has it she does know She knows and she often says to me, even now, well, of course, I have dementia or have short-term memory loss and it's getting worse. But I've always kind of never really acknowledged it with her. I say, oh, never mind, mum, you know, happens to the best of us type thing because I don't, I know that if I just face her and say, actually, mum, yes. I think a couple of times probably we have had a discussion, but it's, is blown over really and I think that's for her I'm not saying that will work for everybody but I think that really works for her does it work for you as well uh I think probably yes so do you talk about it as a family with your siblings oh yeah I mean we're obviously I have great support from my brothers and sisters on the phone because well apart from Jeff um my brother um, everyone lives away so literally my probably my best support is my sister Lisa who lives in Spain and we we talk about mum pretty much all the time so would you say you're the main carer for absolutely her? Yeah. the main carer yeah but you live quite far away from her so I live three and a half hours away yeah so how does that work in terms of how you're able to help her and are you spending a lot of time driving down there? I do, I go down once a month but I have put everything in place for her with an inch of her life basically (laughs) so that she doesn't have to think about anything it enables her to continue living at home I don't think things are made easy 
as far as finding out things that help you. I had to do an awful lot of research off my own back. There wasn't really one place that you can go that helps you as a package. And also everybody does need different kinds of help because I don't think the disease is formulaic. And I think there are lots of different angles to everybody's story. And different people need different needs met. And that's why I think also it's quite difficult for the authorities to put things into one package because there are so many different angles to to the disease. That's what they say about dementia. When you've met someone with dementia, you've met one person with dementia. Exactly. And everyone's got different personalities. Exactly. Everyone has different problems and issues that are more pertinent at different times. Mm -hmm. And I think to research the disease itself, I think if you have a a parent um, with the disease, you need to really read about it and know what you're dealing with. It really helps. Knowledge really, I think, is power. And to talk to other people. I have got one friend who has a mum in a similar situation. And I have a really supportive husband and family, luckily. So one of the things that you've organised was the Philo Project. Yes, which was the best thing I've organised for her, to be honest. And how did you come across it? I think the memory clinic put us on to the mental health team. And there was a a super mental health nurse who came to visit my mum. She was brilliant with my mum and my mum really responded very well to her. But of course, there was nothing she needed and didn't want any help. Um, And I knew my mum would be completely reticent about doing any kind of lunch club or meeting other elderly people because my mum did not consider herself to be a elderly and be with any health problems and was perfectly happy the way she was. So how did you make the leap from her potentially not wanting to? Yeah, it took us about six months, but they were really, really good at getting suggestions. And they said, look, you know, she doesn't have to come. If she doesn't like it, we can, you know, it's not mandatory right so that's how I kind of sold it to her that she could go just for one time and see how she got on and and that maybe she could help them because she was very sociable and she could chat and keep everybody's spirits high which is actually what she does so you've got carers going in as well so she has care in the morning care in the evening for one hour and that she has three carers on a Saturday and three on a Sunday, so three hours. But this, that's, for me, the hardest point at the moment is a Saturday and Sunday. And why is that? Because there's nothing available for her. My brother will come in, but he now can only come in um, when there's a carer there, pretty much. And why is that? Unfortunately, um, with her disease, she accused him of stealing... And anything that goes missing in the house or anything that happens in the house is, you know, unfortunately, my brother has the brunt of it, which is really sad. So sad for him. Yeah, it must be very hard for him. Really hard for him. But he's still, bless him, he's a real trooper and he goes in and takes a Marks and Spencer's sandwich on the weekend and, um, you know, checks that she's all right. And he does kind of the things that I can't do. So things like 
picking up prescriptions or she broke her dentures, he would go and pick them up. So he's kind of a bit, sometimes he'd do the shopping, although I do that pretty much all online now. Okay, so you have it delivered? Have it delivered when the carer is there. So how how much of your life does it take up to keep her going? Depends on the phase that she's in. So if she's in a good way, then it's not too bad. You know, with everything I've put in place, that kind of holds it together. We had a fairly major incident in November where mum was, uh, accused me of selling the house and uh, putting her in a home. And, um, you know, it's the first time, you know, she'd fallen out with me. So that was really tricky. And she didn't want me to, I couldn't go back in the house. I couldn't sleep in the house for a while. Um, But actually it turned out she had a urinary infection. And once she'd had antibiotics and we tiptoed around it a bit, uh, I'm back on favour again, so that's okay. But I think that gave me a tiny glimpse of what's to come, which is a bit of a shocker. That's quite interesting as well, though, that... It was an infection that caused that, which caused her to be more confused than Absolutely, than and that's something that I think you need to be really aware of, that if you notice a, a change, because there is, I have noticed through the disease, stages, periods of like, where you have a really good, everything's really balanced, and you think everything is fine, and then you have a shock when you ring and things are really not fine uh and it it takes you a while to kind of kick yourself back into action again because you're in a false sense of security you think everything is going really well and yeah I've napped this (laughs) covered (laughs) everything I know what I'm doing and then a real big spanner comes in the works and then you have to kind of change everything again and you have to navigate your way around the relationship again And then you get that straight and then it goes along for a little bit longer and then, you know, it's back to navigation and how you're going to deal with it. We're in a slightly different phase again at the moment. So I find, actually, if I ring her in the morning, it upsets the balance. I think probably because we're very close and she can tell me everything. She's always told me everything. That Maybe I remind her that she's unhappy or something clicks that oh I'm talking to Debbie I can tell Debbie now that this is missing this is God stolen this is you know so I've stopped ringing her in the morning and then I call her immediately that she comes back from Philo because that's when she's really really happy (laughs) and you know that's a good time for me to speak to her then can she go out and shop and things or is she confined to home used to go down to the shop one day a week, you know, one morning to pick her paper up. But now she's got a really lovely neighbour who, he's a fantastic guy, and he just goes in with her paper every morning. He's there as the carer is just there about to leave. So at nine o'clock he goes in with her paper, and then he chats to her, the carer leaves, and then he leaves. So it's quite a nice it works yeah really, he's brilliant it works really well and she's got a pendant to call for help is she that she she's wears got around a pendant her neck? which she wears around her neck um yeah which is fine 
She had a wrist one. Uh, they came and fixed her with a wrist one, but she lost it quite quickly. She's much better. We've had an awful lot of problems with keys. Um, that's also been an, a bane of our lives because she loses them or hides them. Uh, we did fix them to the door so that she could lock them and then they were on a chain, but the chains broke. So it's all you're constantly thinking of new strategies and new ways to do things. And there's something every day usually. So for us, the main thing was to take away financial worry, so money, any money in the house, credit cards, anything like that, bills, that's all sorted, paid, direct debit. And now I'm actually just going to redirect all her post because she gets very confused when post advertising and things comes in and she thinks that she's got to have a lottery ticket for something or she's got to, you know, do things. So post redirection... The other thing which is really important is to have a block on the telephone so that you don't get all the nuisance calls and the sales calls and things like that. I have to put in a lot of practical things. Have you met anybody locally that you... Oh, you said you had a friend that has a parent with dementia. Would you find it useful to go and sit in a carer's group and um, talk about well, things? Well, because my sister has early onset... Um, I am pretty dementiaed out. She lives in America. She's a doctor of biochemistry. Uh, she's a very smart girl. She wrote papers for the world to do with her profession. She won all sorts of awards. Really smart cookie. She was 48. And the first we knew of it, she was coming over to visit us. Um, and she kept sending me these really bizarre emails... And I said, I phoned my sister in Spain and said, there's something wrong with Denise. Something is really weird because she keeps sending me these peculiar emails. And then I rang her and said, you know, what on earth is going on? And basically she said she'd had a brain scan and she had dementia. And then she got on a plane and came over to visit and... Wow. That was a completely shock. And the first thing she said was that she knew, um, for example, she knew what an apple looked like. She could see an apple, she could smell an apple, she could taste an apple, but she could not say apple. And she was able to explain this to you when, yes, when she first... but she lost her speech. Very, very, her dementia is very, very different to my mum's. Uh, she's a very different character to my mum as well. But she, her dementia, she lost her speech very, very, very quickly. And she can't... Now she, she's in a wheelchair and she's incontinent and she can't feed herself. And that's probably why I decided not to tell mum that she had, because I think she knew that Denise had, she knows that my sister has that disease, but she doesn't tell anybody about it. And she, um, you know, she does talk about my sister now and again, but you know, that for her was a, was dreadful. So it was before she was diagnosed? It was before she was diagnosed. And I think that's why we just really 
just decided not to go there. Kind of makes more sense now that you explain it that way. Yeah, because I think it was just such a horrific, so horrific for my mum. You know, my sister was hugely talented, very artistic, brilliant drawer, very good linguistically. She spoke Welsh. She was, you know, really clever girl. And so nice. You know, just did not think that something like that could happen to such a brain, really. And I do think that I probably, if I was to meet a whole load of people who had parents, um, probably I would it'd probably be a bit too much for me. Mm. I have got a dementia friend, so that if I if the whole thing gets too overwhelming, I can. And I've rung her once, and she came over actually when my mum was not well, uh, when she had the urine infection. We didn't know it was a urine infection, and she was really. Um, I did struggle then and um, I have a friend, Alzheimer's friend who came and just listened to me and maybe I would find it I mean because obviously we've chatted and we've got a lot in common in that way and it is really lovely to have that but I just don't know if lots of people in one hit I think I would probably take on everybody's mm. How do you cope with looking after your mum so much and it taking up so much of your time and um I just do I don't know I I want to do it so she was my best friend so she she was a great mum and I I do it for her she would do it for me you know and I've got lots of strategies now sort of for coping with repetitive behavior and Things that, you know, would drive you mad if you had to dealing with it on a daily basis. So now I, because my mum's conversation goes in a circle, so she'll say, hello, how are you? What have you been doing today? And then I would tell her. And then two minutes later, she said, oh, and what have you been doing today? So I have found different ways of saying the same thing. So it's my game that I play to stop me getting cross, really, <laughs> to think of different ways of saying the same thing. So you sort of, you don't say, I've already told you that? No, no. never. So I, I really believe the minute that I accepted my mum's illness was a huge change in that. How do you mean? Because I think that prior to accepting that, you know, she wasn't well you try and um you try and oh come on mum you know how to do that you know you're trying to encourage her and you're getting cross with her because you think well you of course you know how to do that you taught me how to do that and it's a very difficult that beginning bit but the minute you kind of think actually she's got an illness I'm going to accept it I'm not going to fight it I'm going to go with this. It's much better as a carer to stop trying to say to them, no, no, don't do it like that. Or no, no, you have to pay for this. No, no, it costs this much. You know, not to try and get cross with them and butt heads. You know, you if you relax and accept it, it's much easier. So, yes, yeah, I'm very so... fortunate. Extremely fortunate. 
live in a nice little village, mm-hmm. as I have all my married life. Does Debbie come down and see you? Oh, yes, as often as she can. It's a bit difficult at times. But, yes, I'm very, very fortunate. And she rings me every morning and every evening. <laughs> and then I have my other daughter in Spain that rings me every day. And, yes, it's great. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too, and thank you for great chatting with me. So it's really been nice, nice to meet meeting you, yeah. darling. Cheers. You've been listening to Discovering Dementia. Thank you to Lily, Debbie and their family and everyone at the Philo Project for their contributions and to Molly, Zoe and Charlotte Bell for their support. Please do subscribe, rate and review the podcast. It'll help others to find it. And do share your own stories with me on social media at Discovering Dementia or at Dementia Podcast. Discovering Dementia was produced and presented by Penny Bell with original music by Leila Mitwali.